welcome to the new space. Um, our first song we're going to do is A Mighty Fortress, and it's going to be on the screen. All the, getting all the kinks worked out in the new space is always exciting. If you feel like standing, stand. If you feel like sitting, sit. Um, just join us in worshiping the Lord.
I wanted to take just a few minutes and um, make sure that we stop to celebrate and thank God for being in a new space. And so that's very exciting. You know, in 2015, Darby and I moved up here, and we spent a year learning how to start churches. Some other people had started churches in the area, and we didn't know anybody. And in 2016, we started some small groups, and uh, we just started meeting people for the first time. And then in 2017, we started meeting once a month at the Ardmore Music Hall, and now we found a space where we can be every week, so that's awesome. So I wanted to take just a few minutes and just thank God in prayer, because the, the whole fact that we're sitting here is simply because God has intervened on our behalf. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful that you're a good God who does great things. And we're thankful that you continually surprise us. You continually do good when we don't deserve it. And God, we're just excited about what you're going to do in the future because of what we've seen you do in the past. And God, I pray that you will remind us that you're a good God. You're a great God. You're a God who's in control and is going to do great things. Lord, we pray that you would draw people to the name of Jesus. And Lord, we just want to thank you for uh, Grace Chapel's willingness to let us use your space here at The Rock. Lord, we want to thank you for just opening this space up uh, to us. Lord, I want to thank you for Paul and Carlos who are volunteering their time uh, to help us tonight. Lord, I, I just thank you for everything that you've done and everyone that you've brought together uh, so that we can do your work here to reach people far away from God with the good news that Jesus Christ loves them. Lord, I pray tonight is honoring to you, it's exciting to the people, and Lord, I pray that we go out excited about what you're going to do in the future. And I pray all these things like I believe Jesus would.
This song I need everybody to stand and clap along because I know you know it because we did it last Sunday or two Sundays ago. Unstoppable God.
So, do you enjoy being blamed for something that you didn't do? Has this ever happened to you where someone blames you for something? You're like, I didn't do that. I hate that. That's like one of my least favorite things when someone blames me for something I didn't do. And, uh, you know, I, I love my mother-in-law. Some people really hate their mother-in-laws, but I have an amazing mother-in-law. She's awesome. Her name's Debbie. She's really great. And whenever she comes to visit Darby and I, she usually comes in and she immediately starts doing our dishes and our laundry. She's like, you slobs. Like, how can you live like this? You know, she just starts folding stuff and washing dishes and putting stuff away. She's vacuuming our floors. And I don't feel like we're very messy people, but she makes us feel like we are the most messy people in the world, you know, because she comes in and just starts cleaning up and putting things in places. And uh, when I do the dishes at home a lot of times, I don't know where stuff goes. Darby over and over again shows me where stuff goes. She's like, bowls go here where the other bowls are. And, you know, most people would get that, and I'm like, I don't know where this bowl goes, you know. Or she says, uh, plates go over here on top of the other plates, you know. It's these really hard things. And uh, usually what I do is I unload the dishwasher, and I'm like, here's a cabinet. Let's shove some stuff in here. And I just put it in random places, and I'm just like, well, it kind of goes here. And uh, even though her places where she has things make sense, I just kind of throw it everywhere. And then when she opens up a cabinet and all this stuff falls out, and she goes, who put this here? I always go, it was probably your mom when she was here visiting, and she put everything away. It's Debbie's fault. You know, so sorry, Debbie, if you're watching online. I do blame you sometimes. Even though it's been months and months since you've been here, Debbie usually ends up getting blamed. And we all do this at some point where we blame somebody for something they didn't do, right? Uh, we blame things, people for things they didn't do all the time. But I think what we don't think about is we also blame God for things he didn't do sometimes. We blame him for things that aren't his fault. We have a tendency to react to the bad things in our life and think, why are you doing this to me, God? Why are you punishing me? Why are you hurting me? Why are you letting this come into my life? You know, when there's an earthquake or a flood, what do we call it? An act of God. God's not killing people through earthquakes and floods, right? That's not an act of God. When something blamed, uh, bad happens, we, many times we blame him for causing it or at the very best allowing it into our lives. If you want to look at an act of God, look at Jesus on the cross where he died in our place, where he suffered pain for us. That's an act of God. Um, not these things that are bad that happen into our life. You know, when we talk about practical Christianity, and that's the series we're in as we go through the book of James, practical Christianity, uh, we need to make it clear what God does and what he doesn't do. Because if we don't, we can start to blame him for things that he's really not doing. And then if we don't have a good understanding about what God does, well, then we might have a bad understanding about what we're supposed to do. We need to understand our role and God's role. Um, Imagine, you know, if the coach of the Philadelphia Eagles called in Nick Foles and he said, you know, Nick, you haven't made any tackles this year. Nick's the quarterback if you're not a sports person. And uh, if he said, hey, Nick, you haven't made any tackles this year. You really need to get on that. You know, next season, I really want to see you tackling some people. Nick would probably be like, that's not my job to tackle people. My job is to make touchdowns and throw beautiful passes. You know, my job is not to... Uh, to tackle people, you know, and you wouldn't criticize a defensive lineman for not making touchdowns, right? His job is to keep the other team from making touchdowns. So we need to understand our role. We need to understand God's role. And I think sometimes it's easy to say, well, God's not doing that when really it's our responsibility. Or for us to say, God, you need to do that when really it's our responsibility to jump up and do it. So James continues his discussion about living out a practical Christianity by defining God's role. And we're still in James chapter 1, but we're going to be in verse 13 tonight. So starting in verse 13, it says, No one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and he doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are drawn away and enticed by their own evil desires. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. James says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of light, who does not change like shifting shadows. By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth that we might be kind, a kind of first fruits of his creation. 
So James here in chapter 1, he's been using uh, two different words. You know, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about trials. And the word in the Greek is really this idea of external pressure. And now he shifts and begins to talk about temptations. Uh, but it's not quite temptations in the way we usually think of it as someone trying to lead us into sin, even though that plays a part. He's really talking about internal mental emotional pressure. So he's been talking about external pressures on our lives, and now he's talking about internal pressures. And it's almost like he has this fear that when he talks about this, some of us are going to be like, so does God do this to me? And so he's like, let's just take a pause for a minute and talk about what God does in your life and what God doesn't and where you have a role to step in. And so if you look at verse 13, uh, James says, no one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. James wants to make it very clear that God teaches us, that, uh, teaches us things through bad times in our life, but he's not the author of these bad things in our life. Anybody see the most recent James Bond movie, Spectre? No. Okay, this is a bad example, then, because nobody's seen that movie. But anyway, in that movie, James Bond encounters this villain um, by the name of Glowfell. And what a ridiculous name, first of all. But anyways, that's his name. And he has this line in there, and he goes, James, I'm the author of all your pain. And he goes back through all the last couple movies, and he says, see that girl you loved? I killed her. See this person you cared about? I blew up that building. I did all these things. And you're like, oh, man, this ties all the movies together. He's just been doing all this evil stuff. I think sometimes we look at God, and we're like, he's like Glowfell. He's the author of all my pain. And I'm like, God's nothing like Blofeld. He's nothing like a James Bond villain. We shouldn't think about God that way, but sometimes that's how we talk about him. Almost as if God's a James Bond villain and he's the author of all the pain in our lives. Now, God is the author of none of the pain in your life, but you know what? He never wastes any of the pain you experience in your life. If you have to experience pain in our world, he wants you to experience it in a way that's going to teach you a deep spiritual lesson through it. And so in verses 14 through 15, James says something here that we really don't like to hear. James says, but each person is tempted when they're drawn away and enticed by their own evil desires. And after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. What James is saying here is a lot of the pain we go through is because we make dumb decisions in our life. We, we like to point out and be like, man, God, why are you letting me go through this? And he says, you know what? A lot of the internal and external pressure we experience is due to our own poor decisions. Now, I had a lady in one of my small groups in Tennessee, and um, she was so distraught one night in a small group, and the state was taking away her children. She had five children, and they were taking her children from her, and she goes, why is God doing this to me? Why is God taking away my children? But once you hear, heard her story a little bit, she was making meth and distributing meth uh, to the community, and that's how she made her living. And her husband got arrested for it, and she was continuing the trade, and uh, she was also involved in some other stuff. And um, I'm like, is God taking away your kids? Or is that you're taking away your kids by your own actions? But isn't it easier rather than looking in the mirror and saying, man... I really messed up, and now I have to pay the consequences. Isn't it easier to be like, God, why are you doing this to me? It's not God's fault. Many times what James is saying, we get ourselves into these bad situations, and then we blame him for letting us experience the result of our own bad behavior. I was talking to a pastor one time who was um, counseling a couple, and the husband was having a long-term affair on his wife. It was known. It was repeated. He kept doing it over and over again. And um, he said, Pastor... I've been praying, God, help me stop having an affair, and he doesn't. So I guess he just wants me to keep, keep having the affair. And the pastor took a book on his desk and started pushing it to the edge. He said, Lord Jesus, don't let this book hit the, um, hit the ground. And he pushes it to the edge, it falls off the edge, and hits the ground. And uh, the pastor told this guy, he said, you can't pray to God and then actively work against what you're praying for. And I think sometimes we do that, right? We just keep doing the same destructive things that we know are bad for us or bad for other people. And then we pray and we're like, God, make me stop. <laughs> you know? And he's like, stop pushing the book. You know, stop doing the destructive things. Um, when you really want to do something, your actions begin to align with your prayers. But you know what? It's a lot easier to shake a fist at heaven and be like, God's so mean to me. He hurts me rather than to look in the mirror and realize that a lot of our problems are our own doing. 
Essentially what James is describing here is we all have this destructive tendency. He uses the word sin. Sometimes that sounds like such a church word, right? We're like, what's sin? But essentially sin is anything that we do or say or think that's destructive. It destroys our relationships with other people and hurts our relationship with God. You know, you don't smoke three packs a day, three packs of cigarettes a day for a lifetime, and then blame God when you get lung cancer. Like, God, what are you doing? Why did I get lung cancer? You know, well, I mean, you took some steps to do that. I can't keep eating donuts like I currently am and get mad at God when I get diabetes in a few years. I love donuts. Like, I have a real problem. Um, so verse 16, he, James tells us that doubting the goodness of God is the oldest lie. He says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. And he says, what are you being deceived about? He goes on and he says, God's a good God who gives good gifts. You know, the first lie that's told in the Bible is the enemy, Satan, the devil, comes to Adam and Eve and he tells Eve, a good God wouldn't keep one fruit tree from you. They had all the fruit. They could eat anything they wanted in the whole world. And they just couldn't eat out of this one tree. It was their way to show love to God by being obedient. And he said, if God really loved you, he wouldn't even keep that one tree away from you. And the first lie was essentially, God's not good. And that's the same lie that the enemy uses today. You know, the enemy isn't very creative. He still keeps telling us the same lies. God's not good. God doesn't, isn't for you. He doesn't love you. He's not, he's against you. He's going to send you punishment or pain. It's always the first place and the most relentless idea that Satan challenges in our life. Because if God's not good, he can't be trusted. And so James says, don't be deceived. Don't believe the lie. God is good. And he talks about it here in verse 17. He says, every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. What James is reminding us is that everything that's good in your life is from God. Everything that's good in your life is from God. It doesn't matter if you love him or if you hate him. Everything that's good in your life comes from God. God is the author of all the good in your life. And he says here that he uses this interesting metaphor in verse 17. He says, God is not like a shifting shadow. He does not change. Have you ever seen a shadow? And you're like, oh, that's so cool. That shadow looks like a rabbit jumping over a bush. And then you point to somebody next to you and you're like, look at that shadow. And then it's like the sun changed and now it just looks like a blob. And they're like, that doesn't look like anything. What were you thinking? You know, and shadows change all the time. And he says, that's not how God is. He says, God doesn't send pain into your life and like, <laughs> here's a little bit of torture for you. And then the next day be like, I want to bless you now. Here's some nice things. He's like, that's not what God is like. He says, all the good in your life comes from God. The Bible tells us that God showers our life with grace. The word grace means undeserved good. God's always giving us good that we don't deserve. In everyone's life, there's constant undeserved good. You don't earn it. You just receive it. He sends rain on the evil and the good. He gives paychecks to the evil and the good. He lets evil and good people experience beauty and music and love and laughter and light and warm sunny days and hopefully springtime soon. Our lives are literally drowning in undeserved good. You know, but what happens is our sense of being owed or having earned the good things in life prevent us from being delighted by the undeserved good that God is constantly lavishing on us. And we have this tendency in our lives to fixate on the one thing that isn't going well or the one thing that is wrong and ignore the thousands of things that are going right or that God is blessing us with or giving us good out of. We point to one area of pain or pressure and we ignore all these other areas where God is being gracious to us and giving us undeserved good. And finally, in verse 18, James calls us the first fruits of his creation. And so we're going to talk about this a little bit because this is an interesting phrase he uses. Verse 18 says, by his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, James here acknowledges that the world is broken. We live in a broken world. We live in a world where bad things happen. There's still sickness and disease and war and famine. If you think this is a good world and everything's okay, just turn on the news. And it's like 
30 seconds into the news, we're like, oh, the world's too bad. I can't watch anymore. You know, but we shouldn't blame God for how broken our world is. The Bible tells us that the fractured reality that we live in today is not what God intended. See, as humanity, we staged this rebellion against God. Humanity attempted to live without God, and the fallout was cosmic in consequence. And you might say, Alex, I haven't been a part of any spiritual rebellion. I haven't signed anything or you know, waved any flag that may be part of this spiritual rebellion against God. But the thing is, we each, every day, at some point, have chosen to do our things our way rather than to do them God's way. We've decided to follow our desires rather than what God commands. And the result is we are naturally destructive, right? You send me into a donut shop, I do not make healthy options, right? And maybe if we send you into a Target or a mall, you may not make healthy options, right? What is that about us that we're, we're naturally self-destructive? Well, it's a raw result of this rebellion against God that we've all been a part of at some point. We all selfishly want our own way, and that ends up hurting other people and even hurting our planet. But you see, God, in the message of the Bible, is that God is working to restore everything. He's working to make everything right, despite what we did to break the planet. He's going to fix the planet, and he's going to fix everything that's wrong, even death. And he's just dedicated to fixing us first. And so usually we look around the planet and we're like, there's, there's famine and there's sickness and war. God's starting with fixing us first. We're the ones who made the mess and messed up the world and messed up the universe. He starts with us. And that's why James says we're the first fruits of his creatures. We're the first things he's fixing. In Romans 8, 22 through 24, it says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as if it's in the pains of childbirth, even up to the present time. He says, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? You say, Alex, what in the world is Paul talking about there? He's saying, you know what? All of creation is broken, and it's longing for the day when God makes everything right. But he says, we're going to be the first things that he sets right. All of creation, all of reality is crying out on the deepest planes of existence for God to fix it. But he starts with us. We're the ones who caused the problem, and he starts with us. Why? So we can be a part of the solution so that we can be part of fixing we can come alongside him and help fix some of the things that we've broken death and disease and the broken planet and pollution he's getting to them all but he's starting with us and he's inviting us to be a part of what he's doing so what can we do we we can join him he's fixing us so we can be a part of fixing what our destructive words and actions and thoughts have done and you say well alex i may not have done this or i may not have done that well, one of your descendants or one of your ancestors have. And we've all been a part of breaking the planet and doing destructive things. We all have this self-destructive tendency. And he lets us play a part in repairing what we broke. So as we go through this series, we've been reading this book, Surprise the World, by Michael Frost. And one of the things Michael Frost talks about in the book in Chapter 7 is about finding ways in everyday life to announce the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. One of the things Jesus said was, he says, I have come to establish the kingdom of God and to invite people to be my followers and to enter into this kingdom, to, to commit to right what's broken on our planet. And that can be an everyday action. It can be something small, like I was walking through Bryn Mawr the other day and there was a trash can that had blown over in the wind and the trash was blowing out into the street and the can was out in the street and people were driving around it. And I just stopped and set it up put the trash back in and put the lid back on. You think, Alex, that's a small thing. It was something that was broken, and instead of doing something further destructive, right, I did something in a small way to set something right. You say, Alex, that's so small. Does that even matter? Yes. Every small action that sets things right is a demonstration that God reigns in my heart, and he's made me a part of righting what's wrong in the world. Um, you know, over the last couple of weeks, several of you have had opportunities to take the bags we made for homeless people. And just as you've seen a homeless people been able to put that in their hands, you know, they're holding a sign, need a cup of coffee, need a little bit of food. And several of you have been able to share stories with me about how you've been able to just be 
hey, I can't fix all your problems right now, but I can at least give you something to eat right here in this moment. That's a small way to say we're fixing some of the things that's broken in the world. We have a lot more to do, but we're starting somewhere. And you might say, okay, Alex, that's all well and good, but isn't God sovereign over the baby born with the incurable disease? Uh, where was God at the recent school shootings? Uh, isn't that what everybody always asks? Like, somehow God's to blame for those things, the earthquake that killed thousands or the tsunami. Our, our world is broken. Like, damaged DNA results in birth deformities and disease and broken ecology in our world results in storms and destruction. God intervenes in the chaos in our broken world, but we can't blame him for every disaster and tragedy because that's not what it means to be sovereign when the Bible talks about that God is sovereign. Um, in 2 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul, who started churches all over Europe and Asia and the Middle East, he, he goes through this list of what he experienced. He says, um, five times I've been whipped 40 lashes. Three times I've been beaten with rods. Once I've been stoned. Three times I've been shipwrecked. I've been hungry and thirsty, cold and naked in prison. I drift at sea, in danger of bandits, in danger of people who didn't like my message, in danger from all kinds of different groups. He says, I've been in danger from false believers. And he says, I'm constantly stressed about the state of all the churches that I started. And at the end of that, he's like, and I blame God. It's all his fault. No, obviously he didn't say that. But isn't that what we usually do? We run down this list. We're like, man, uh, my flag fell over out front and smashed a window on some car, which totally happened today. Um, or we say, you know, I got this big bill I can't pay. And we kind of blame God for it. And Paul's like, look, we just live in a messed up world. And he's like, I don't blame God for that. Because he goes on and he's like, God's done all this good stuff despite all the bad stuff around me. When we talk about God's sovereignty, it means he's the supreme ruler. It means that God ultimately rules over everything, even evil. But it's a gross misunderstanding to think that that means that he's responsible for evil. Sovereignty means that he still brings about good even when you go through the worst possible thing in your life. He doesn't cause bad situations, but he still somehow finds ways to bring good things out of bad situations. In Romans 8.28, it says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I've heard some people use this verse sometimes almost as a way to be like, yeah, God's bringing this really horrible situation into your life, but he's going to use it. No, that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying a horrible situation has happened because you're in a broken world and he hasn't fixed everything yet, but he's starting with fixing you. And so that means he's going to use this bad situation to produce good. God didn't give you cancer or didn't make you lose your job. We live in a broken world where there's abnormal genes that mutate and spread and disease strikes and people die. But everything that is good in your life comes from God. Everything that is good in your life comes from God. And when bad comes, he is actively working through the bad to help you become good so that you can become a force for good in this bad world. So you can become a part of fixing what's broken and messed up and wrong. And so we can't talk about sovereignty without also talking about free will. You know, God wants us to willingly choose to love and serve him. And that's why he gives us the freedom to willingly reject him and further damage the world and others. You know, there's some bad things you go through simply because someone exercised their free will. They have the freedom to love God and be a part of setting things right. Or they can be a part of further breaking and damaging things in our world. Um, so where do we fit in? What do we do with this? What do we take away? Dallas Willard said, grace is not against effort. It is against earning. Grace means it's undeserved good. We could never earn the favor of God. Jesus Christ invites any of us who wants to be his followers to come freely by faith and become a part of his family and a part of his mission to set things right in our world. But just because grace, we can't earn it, we don't deserve it, that doesn't mean we just sit back and we're like, yeah, well, I'm not going to do anything now because I don't have to. Grace should motivate us because God's fixing us to be about fixing other things in our world. Um, James is going to say in a few verses here as we continue on in our series in the next few weeks that our role is to join Jesus in setting right the broken people and the broken places in our universe. We become spiritual weavers patching the frayed edges of our tapestry of reality. 
Jesus says, all who call out to him will be saved and rescued from the most destructive parts of themselves. And he promises to give us the Holy Spirit to empower us to live and love like he did so that we can be about this mission to set right the broken things in our world. And just some practical things to take away from this. Ask God to forgive you for blaming him for the bad things in your life. Because all of us at some point have been like, God, I can't believe you did this to me. He's like, I didn't do that to you, but I'm doing all this good around you despite that. Or, you know what, even through this, I'm teaching you all this good. So ask God to forgive you when you blamed him for things that he didn't really do. And number two, celebrate grace in your everyday life. Our lives are constantly flooded with good from God, and we constantly ignore it or forget it or just walk right by it. So take, um, take some time and just think about, man, God's done a lot of good in my life. Write it down, note it, remember it. it. It's funny how something good will happen, and I'll be so excited about it, and then two weeks go by, and I'm like, I don't even remember that. And I'll be flipping through something I wrote down, and I'm like, I forgot that God even did that, that he even moved in that way. We need to remember these things. Find a way to remember them. And finally, think about where you can put forth effort in your world to set things right. Maybe there's a relationship that's broken, and you say, I can help heal that. Maybe there's an area in your community, and you say, this isn't right. How can I be about fixing it? Or maybe there's someone you know who's far away from God. They don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They don't have that assurance that they can know God and be loved by him. And maybe you say, I can tell them the good news of Jesus Christ this week. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. And thank you for the challenge and the reminder. You don't bring bad things into our lives. You're constantly bringing good in. But when bad things do come into our life, you do good despite them. You bring good about even out of bad situations. You teach us and help us become more good so we can become a force for good in your world. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And Melissa is going to come up now and talk about our Easter egg hunt. Hi, guys. So we are partnering with the Bryn Mawr Business Association on March 31st to do a community Easter egg hunt from 10 to 12 for the local kids. So it'll begin at 10 to 11 will be the first heat and it'll be kids under the age of 5 and then from 11 to 12 will be kids 6 years and up. What we need from you guys is help with the event to make it a successful one so that we can do it in the future. Um, so this upcoming Saturday we are filling about 2,000 eggs with candy and other trinkets and it'll be held at um, Darby and Alex's house from 10 to 4 and then um, there we will also be making and creating signs and makeshift baskets um, for the kids. And then the day of the event for March, on March 31st, um, we'll probably be there from nine to about one. We need help with setup in the morning and then we'll need uh, various people help monitoring the egg hunt as well as we'll be having certain stations. We'll have a balloon, animals, face painting. Um, we'll have in the Easter theme game section as well as an arts and craft project. Again, we'll need leaders for those, and um, anybody who's willing to help out uh, can just let us know, and we'll send out a um, sign-up list online, and you guys can follow it out there. Uh, last thing, I guess, is just if you could donate any packaged candies, that would be great, and uh, you can drop it off again on Saturday, March 24th. Um, and I think that's it. <laughs> Thank you so much. I so appreciate Melissa leading that for us. Um, she, she, she said, I'm interested in leading that. I was like, awesome. And Darby showed me an email she sent over. It was like the next day, I feel like. She had a six-page document. She had broken everything out. I was like, yeah, she can totally take this over. She's, well, I think we had written out a paragraph of what we were going to do, and she made it so much better. So thank you, Melissa. And uh, feel free to reach out to her or to us if you have any questions about that. When you came in today, you were handed a next steps card. And uh, thank you, Darbs. So we would love to have your contact information if you want to put your contact information uh, down there. Also put your name so we know who we're contacting. And then if you have a prayer request, we'd love to pray for you. Let us know how we can pray for you. And then if you want to check one of these, we'd love to talk to you about that if you have questions about one of those items. 
we'd love to help you with that. And in just a second, we're going to take up our offering, and you can just drop those right in the offering bucket. Austin's going to help you take up the offering, so if you want to grab an orange bucket, and then uh, if you need an envelope where you want to have your giving tax deductible, you can throw it in the envelope, or if you're writing a check, we can just take the information off of there. Austin, go ahead and come up here, and we'll pray over the offering. Sorry, this is what happens when I don't give you good instructions. Sorry about that. And um, we'll go ahead and pray, and then we'll take up the offering. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you are good, and you are generous, and we are grateful to you that you give us so much more than we could ever give back. Amen. So Austin's going to walk around, and then if you want, as you leave, you can also leave it in the orange bucket, or you can give online at horizonphilly.com backslash give. Um, and then remind me what the next slide there is. Yes. So our next um, sermon series in James will be online, and that'll be next week on our website. And then that'll be our last just purely online service, because on April 1st, we're going to just start weekly services after that. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate your help. Um, so speaking of April 1st, right, that's our Easter service, and then we're going to have weekly services here each Sunday night at 5 p.m. after that. So there's a couple of ways that we want you to spread the word about our Easter service. One is we've just made a simple little graphic that we're going to put up on our social media pages for you to share via text or via email. And you say, um, you know, not everybody in my text list or my email list lives in the area. You never know if they know somebody who lives in the area. So we want you to send it out uh, to everybody like that. And then another way is, right, we have some of the cards over on our Connect table that are personal invites. That you can put in somebody's hand and invite them out to the service that way. And then we also have some yard signs that just have information about our Easter service. If you would like one to put into your yard, or I don't really have a yard because I have an apartment, but I have it in my window. And as thousands of people drive by on Greenmark Ave, they see it. Um, if you want one of those, we'd love to put one of those in your hands to help spread the word about that. So I think that's all my announcements. So thank you so much for being here. Our first service at The Rock. Have a great week.